are back. We are doing it again. Doing it again. Guys, gals, non-binary pals, can you smell it? Can you smell it? It's new book smell. It's new book smell. Oh, it's here. It's, the, it's the most wonderful time of the every two years, <laughs> give or take, depending on how many books we do. No. That is that is the wrong holiday for this week. God damn it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I'm so going to point are... my finger very catholically and angrily at that. <laughs> <laughs> this is Mark's Madness Pod. We read books. My name is Nathan. My name is David. And we will be starting our new foray into Blood in My Eye by George Jackson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as we do with every one of our works before we start on a book, we like to do a little bit of a biography slash context where it's necessary sort of episode. Um, yes. This one, spoiler alert, will be much heavier on the biography than the context because the context is 1960s and 70s USA. Um, a, a well-trod, uh, area of history, especially for any, any Marxists, any communists, any, any leftists of any stripe. Uh, this is a very well-known time, the civil rights struggle, um, the assassinations of Martin Luther King and Malcolm mm-hmm. X. Um, all of these things are feeding into the environment that George Jackson is living in. Um, but again, they're not things that are, that are so esoteric or out there that I feel like we need to do a real big deep dive on them. They're, they're pretty, pretty basic level concepts for everybody. Um, yeah. Instead, we are going to try our best to give as thorough a story of George Jackson's life and eventual death as we possibly can uh, to, to kind of contextualize the work that you're about to read in that sense. So, that being said, sit down, uh, enjoy, because it's going to be a lot of Nathan this episode. Uh, <laughs> so, here we go. Uh, George Jackson was born on September 23rd, 1941. His mother was Georgia. She was a self-described as a country girl from Harrisburg, Illinois. And his father, Lester, was born in East St. Louis. And the couple met in Chicago. Um, oh, uh, just for uh, everyone's information, the information mm-hmm. I'm pulling this from, everything that I'm being sourced here um, is being sourced from either a little bit from Wikipedia, not a whole lot, just just some basic level stuff there. Um, most of it is being sourced from two places, uh, Soledad Brother. The first work from George Jackson, and specifically the very intro to Soledad Brothers. So probably the first hour or so, if you're listening to it on an audiobook, which is what I was doing, um, because that's where George kind of gives his own telling of his his early life and his life before prison. Um, and the rest of it is coming from a documentary that I uh, I stumbled upon on YouTube. Um, that I will, if I if I remember correctly, and I should, I will link in the bio. Um, spoiler alert for that: it is a local news station did a biography. I think it was a local California news station did like a 60 minute style one out one and a half hour documentary uh, about George Jackson and the, and the events of, of August 21st, 1971. Um, but that is, I mean, let's be real. They've got prison guards on there giving testimony. They've got all sorts of people, but they also have Angela Davis in there giving uh, her testimony and her side of the story. So it's lib. It's not a revolutionary piece of media by any stretch of the imagination, but it does a lot better than I would expect for a local news station. Um, And so some information was gleaned there. And and some facts are just anything that is contentious, I try and take from Jackson himself. Uh, Anything where it is just facts, names, dates, times, and places, I I, I think the documentary did a good enough job to get me where I need to go. so that is that is my sources for this episode. That is where we're pulling this from. Um, back to George Jackson. Uh, yes. 
As a youth, Jackson was allowed to venture out, but only onto a fenced-off roof area uh, and no further to prevent him from getting into trouble. His mother, Georgia, was extremely prescient of the concepts that her son was a black man in America. Uh, He was living in Chicago and that the odds of him getting running into trouble in some form or another were extremely high. She was famously quoted as telling him, uh, him and his brother, Jonathan, that you, if you want to have a chance, you're going to have to be twice as good as Whitey. Um, You have to be twice as good at him at everything you do, or you're not going to stand a chance. And she's like, that's the truth. Why wouldn't I tell them that? Um, so yeah. George very early on had that kind of grounding and understood that, um, and, and understood that his mother was trying to protect him and keep a pin in your ear and the, the name of his brother, Jonathan Jackson. That's a very important, um, part of George's life story. We will get to the Jonathan, um, Early on in the book, in Soledad Brother, he tells a story uh, about how he saw uh, a white child for the first time in kindergarten. He said it must have, he must have seen him in books and magazines, but he'd never seen them in the flesh. Uh, quoting Jackson, he says, he went up and touched his hair and scratched at his cheek. Uh, the kid proceeded to hit him in the head with a baseball bat, crumpling him and leaving him in a pile outside the schoolyard. Uh, after mm. this, Georgia sent George to a private local Catholic school uh, to help avoid that. Uh, George predictably was not very happy in Catholic school. Um, black revolutionaries <laughs> don't tend to do well in the parochial system, it seems yeah. like. Yeah. No, 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 no. No. Uh, he goes on to say, uh, to quote, the most damaging thing someone in a colonial situation can do is to allow their children to attend any educational facility organized by the dominant culture. Um, obviously, he wasn't saying this at the time, but this is him reflecting back on it through Soledad Brother. Um, yeah. His mother consistently tried to prevent George from getting into trouble by sending him on trips to Harrisburg uh, in the in the country, um, away from the city. And this is where George learned to shoot fish. He describes learning basic, you know, learning edible plants, things like that. Just learning basic survival things and and the sort of things you would learn back in the country in the forties. He describes that place as, he said, almost every black person in Harrisburg was related to him in one way or another. And so he could have built a little army down there if he wanted to. Um, But he he speaks very highly of his time with his grandma and his Aunt Juanita down in Harrisburg. Um, When he was back in the city, uh, him and his friends, he says that him and his friends almost put the local blocks business into bankruptcy through petty thefts, such as stealing food, gloves, marbles for the slingshot and gadgets aplenty in his words. Uh, It was around this time that his brother, Jonathan, was born. His brother, uh, he was at the time he was writing this, he was 29 and Jonathan was 17. So there's about an 11 year, about an 11 year age gap on the two of them. Um, And Jonathan worshipped george he looked up to him so much was so i mean this this he was he was his rock he was he was everything to to jonathan um speaks glowingly and and early in his life about his grandfather who along with his mother taught him it was quote the worst of the hard n-word isms to hook jab cut and stab at other blacks and he had an, his grandfather had an especially bitter hatred for the police, something that will recur throughout uh, Jackson's life. Uh, George describes moving into the Troop Street projects, uh, and this is where he said he began to experience his first issues with the police, saying he was caught once or twice for mugging. Uh, George describes living two lives, his life with his mom and his sisters at home and his life on the streets. He said he'd occasionally get caught at home with things he wasn't supposed to have by Georgia, leading to arguments and him leaving home, by his estimation, hundreds of times never to return. 
He describes Jonathan, who was just a baby at the time, as being the only reason he would ever return home. He reiterates at this point and throughout the rest of the, the intro here that all his life, I did exactly what I wanted when I wanted. And George is very open about his his background, his history, you know, his his history with crime and, and life on the street mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. He, he does not pull any yeah. punches with that. Um, it was around this time that George stopped attending school regularly and began getting regularly picked up by the cops for suspicion of or being in the wrong part of town, essentially. So caught being black uh, seems to be a thing that, that happened to George Jackson quite a bit. Um, but very rarely was he actually caught breaking the law at this time. There was there was basically nothing they could pin on him. He, he wasn't actually getting arrested. Um, but he'd get beat. They, they described he'd get get the, the wooden stick treatment, so get get beat around by the cops a little bit, and then they'd call his dad to come get him. Um, it was at this time that George's father felt the need to remove George from Chicago and he transferred his post office job to Los Angeles. They got in a 48 Hudson and made a 2000 mile journey from Chicago to Los Angeles in about two days. They were staying with his father's cousin until they could send for the rest of the family. This is where a fun anecdote came up. Uh, George talks about on the whole drive over, he had never seen a car. He knew nothing about cars, um, but he was fascinated watching his father drive the car and, you know, change the mm-hmm. gears and all that kind of stuff. And so when they got to Los Angeles, he was like, hey, can I can I drive? Can I can I take a turn? And his dad's like, what are you talking about? No, absolutely not. Hell no. Um <laughs> And so his dad went off with his cousin who they were staying with and left George alone with the keys. George then gets in the car to joyride it through the streets of Watts in Los Angeles. Um, Oh, boy. Yeah. At which point he turns a corner and plows straight through a barbershop's front window and plate glass window and door. Um, the local barber shop in town. Um, he describes, he says the, 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 the brothers in the Watts barbershop were so immune to, to, uh, excitement these days that they barely listed ahead as the car plowed through the front of the building. Um, oh, geez. Yeah. But at this point, uh, the- now that that does make sense. I mean, Watts has been a, a contentious area for a long time, and that's where you know caused the rise of the the Watts Rebellion in 1967. I think was the year. Uh-huh. Um, so believe, that, that makes a right. lot of sense. Yep. Um, but then he describes that the the way they handled it was instead of calling the cops or bringing the police into it, um, they let they basically let George's dad do the repairs himself like he had to buy the materials and make the repairs but that was it they didn't want to get the cop they 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 basically said this was a matter between brothers this was not something to get the police involved in we're going to handle this uh man to man um which was which was good um yeah serious things began happening after settling in la in 1957 and george describes at 15 doing a break-in at a large department store in the area where he was shot six times point blank by a police officer uh shot at six times uh he was only hit twice uh and during the incident they were uh offering medical treatment to george as an enticement for him cooperating and offering up his comrades in the heist so you know, cops being cops. Hey, we'll we'll actually get yeah. you medical attention if you cop to this kind of a thing. It was it was great. Yeah. Um, the trick is, is a month before this, George had bought a motorcycle off of a guy with a forged pink slip that George didn't know about. So he bought a mo- bought a motorcycle off a guy. The guy had forged the pink slip. It was hot. It was stolen. Um, and that those two incidents together were enough to get George sent to the Youth Authority Corrections in California. So basically juvenile for California. Um, 
the very uh, George describes it the very first time it was like dying just to exist in the cage requires heavy psychic adjustments George pretended that he couldn't hear or understand anything but the simplest directions and was therefore only given the simplest work uh, he talks about basically he would he would try and get the simplest job so that he could spend his time he he uh, this is where he starts reading voraciously. Um, mm-hmm. He was reading, he, but he describes like Jack London, things of that nature. Um, nothing, nothing revolutionary at this point, but definitely the, the seeds are there that he, though he was not necessarily into the academics at school, he was a very intelligent man and, and wanted to read as much as he could uh, when that was what was given to him. Uh at 18, George got picked up a couple more times, um, but in the interim, but was finally arrested on a $70 robbery. This is the uh, infamous incident for for George Jackson. There was a, a robbery of $70, which if you count for inflation is like $600 in 2022 dollars or something like that, uh, of, a, of a gas station. And that landed him the sentence of one year to life in California jail. Uh, one year Which, to life. That's a hell of a sentence. If you just let that uh, first off for seventy dollars, even translated to six hundred dollars, that's that's insane. Of course, when you just take it at face value, seventy, it's like what the hell, man. You know, but one year to life, just the range of that, yep. like. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> and there's a point during the documentary um, where George is talking, uh, and this was, I believe, in 1970 um, mm-hmm. that he was talking because it was right around when Soledad Brother was released. Um, and yeah. he had been at this point, he had done 10 years. So he was 18. He got booked when he was 18. He was 29 at the time. He had done 10 years on a one to life, which at the time was, and I, I still believe it is, the longest anyone had ever served on a one to life in California. Um, no one had ever served that long on a one to life. Um, so once he was in jail, uh, George met with George met up with George Big Jake Lewis and W. L. Nolan. W. Nolan was a uh, a boxing champion within within uh, the the prison system, and they helped mm-hmm. start the Black Gorilla Family, which was inspired by yeah. Marcus Garvey. Uh, the Black Gorilla Family characterized itself as an ideological African American Marxist Leninist revolutionary organization composed of prisoners. It was founded with the stated goals of promoting Black power, maintaining dignity in prison, and overthrowing the United States government. Uh, the BGF's yeah. ideological and economic aims, collectively known as Jamonics, are laid out in the group's Black Book. Um, I did not dive into the Black Book for this one. Um, everything I could find on Black Gorilla Family was was not. It doesn't really give any context to this story uh in any meaningful way and it doesn't give any context i think to what we're about to do and if it does it's going to come up in the book so i kind of wanted to to lean on that well yeah and you got to remember two things you know one i'm sure you'll get into more is like george jackson became involved with the black panthers at the time too so and, and at the same time in um uh san quentin prison uh there was the formation of nuestra familia um as well so this was a time that a lot of prisoners were forming into ethnic defense groups against mm. white supremacist prisoners and guards the aryan um, brotherhood and, yeah the aryan brotherhood yeah. and the guards specifically um yeah yeah in January 1969, uh, Jack, George and Nolan were transferred from San Quentin to Soledad Prison. On January 13th, 1970, there was the opening of a new wing of Soledad Prison. There was a new exercise yard. I think it was called Yard O um, that they were going to open up. And there there are interviews with uh, inmates who were in Soledad at the time during this documentary that basically said everybody knew. Everyone and their mother knew. Uh, that the second you opened that exercise yard, there was going to be a fight. 
there was going to be a fight between yeah. because you had the Aryan Brotherhood, you had the uh, Latino, the, the Latino the gangs. New Easter Familia, yeah, yeah, and then you had uh, then you had the the Black Gorilla family, you had mm-hmm. uh, and and the the groups that were led by Nolan and and Jackson, and there was going to be a fight. Everyone knew mm-hmm. it. There was going to be a fight. Um, but that happened. That was the thing that, that basically was acknowledged. That that happens in prison. There are prison fights. It's a thing that happens. It, it you know, it, it's not necessarily out of the ordinary. Um, so, so everyone was kind of expecting it. But the twist to this, the the horrifying twist to this, came um, when Officer OPG Miller, unprompted. So the fight breaks out. Fight breaks out. Uh, uh, I think I think it is stated that Nolan threw the first punch, but who gives a shit. Um, but, but the fight starts, Aryan Brotherhood, Black Rilla family, everyone's fighting. Um, no warning, no warning shot, no nothing. Miller shoots Nolan dead in the yard. Um, and two other black prisoners are shot dead in the yard. Cleveland Edwards and Alvin Miller are all shot. And the white, and and the, the white inmates knew it. They, they, they they acknowledge it. They said, if, if the guards were going to shoot anyone, they were going to shoot the black guys first. Hundred times, yeah. hundred times out of a hundred, it was going to be that was who's going to get shot if something happens. Um, yeah. But again, no warning, no nothing, just shot him, shot him dead. Um, following Nolan's death, uh, Jackson became increasingly confrontational with corrections officials and spoke often about the need to protect fellow inmates and take revenge on corrections officers, employing what Jackson called selective retaliatory violence. Um, which again, we know is, is a thing <laughs> that comes about. Yeah. It, it's part of revolution. It's part of all of this is if, if yeah. you know, the enemy is willing to use violence and quite obviously they are, they are willing to kill you dead. Um, the concept of not using violence in re- reaction is kind of insane. Um, yeah. Nobody, nobody wants any more violence than, than necessary because it's tension, you know, it doesn't deescalate, right? Tensions heighten, tensions heighten, tensions heighten, more people die. But if you're going to die, you know, virtually just as much and you're the only side taking losses and what is really an ongoing you know war disguised as peace or the more more often used words law and order um at some point you've got to defend yourself or you're just dying you're just you're just accepting the oppression yeah and it's uh it's it's pretty it's it's pretty grotesque and again the 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 bigger almost the biggest slap in the face came when three days later Again, three days after the incident, uh, uh, the grand jury came back and ruled that uh, Officer Miller's actions were justifiable homicide. So at this point, uh, things are, are are escalating rather quickly. There's a lot of tension within Soledad at this time, and everyone kind of knows that that something is going to happen, and that something yeah. happened on on January 17th, 1970, so four days later. Um where where officer corrections officer John V Mills was beaten and thrown from the third floor of Soledad's Y wing. Um, so no one knows who did it. No one knows what happened. Uh, all they know is that the man was beaten and thrown off of Y wing. Um, this this was not uh, Mills was not involved in the in the shooting. He was the definition of wrong place, wrong time. You're a corrections officer and. Yeah, you're 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 upholding the system in a, in yeah. a place where retaliatory violence is going to happen. That 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 came down. Um, but on the 17th of January, Jackson, uh, Fleeta Drumgo, and John Clachette were charged with murdering Mr., uh, John Mills. Um, this is a capital offense because they were all serving time. If you are serving time in prison and you are uh, 
accused of a crime of assaulting anyone who's a non-prisoner, weirdly enough. Assaulting a non-prisoner is a guaranteed death sentence um, uh, for assault or murder. So, yeah, so this is this speaks, is definitely a big speaks deal. to the incredible dehumanization when you get assigned capital C criminal, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, you 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 get into a fight with someone outside of prison, and either of you could be at fault. You could be arrested. It's not. It's not. I mean, if we had a death sentence for like a fist fight outside a bar, it would be insane. Exactly. Right. But that's the way it is in prison. You know, you're subhuman. You've, you've lost your rights, right? You can't vote in most states. You can't vote for life in a lot of states. You've lost incredible amounts of jobs if you ever give out. You're completely subject to dehumanization and torture at the behest of the guards at will. Um, and when you get out, if you do, is, is largely up to them. Um, you know, in contrast, I mean, you know, up against the, the original sentence as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, and and of course, you know this this you know level of escalation, right? Exactly. And there, they said that there was a note found on the body that said "one down, two to go," referencing the three uh, African American uh, men that mm-hmm. were killed during the during the initial fight. Um, yeah. So, which I mean, cops cops lie all the time. That's a believable lie, but cops lie all the time. Oh, so, for sure. And again, whatever. it could could have could have absolutely not been there at all. Um, yeah. But again, you now have these three men: George Jackson, Felita Drumgo, mm-hmm. and John Clachette, uh, accused of this murder. And these become what are known as the Soledad brothers. Um, these are the men that are that, and this becomes a huge, huge cause celeb. This is a this is a a national issue at this point. This is not an isolated incident. Um, and George Jackson being described by George was described as Huey P. Newton by Huey P. Newton as the as the best writer among us. Um, he was mm-hmm. his his work was profound. His work was impactful, um, and he was gaining uh, a lot of a lot of recognition within the prison system that he was described as the most dangerous man in the prison system because of the way he believed because of the way he talked um gives me a lot of uh oh jesus how am i blanking on this gentleman's name right now oh my god black panther they just made a movie about him black black messiah oh 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 fred hampton fred hampton jesus christ i blanked on fred hampton oh god i've been way too deep into george jackson for a minute here (laughs) my brain turned off uh very very reminiscent of fred hampton uh someone that was marked Someone that that again in the way that Dr. King and and Malcolm X and mm-hmm. these when you get when you reach a certain status and a certain level of of revolutionary uh, when you can spark that revolutionary action because it was said within the prison system if George told you where you were like we're going to do this here at this time at this place mm-hmm. you did it like he had that charisma yeah. he had that 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 just absolutely oozed that ability to lead people and influence people. Um, yeah, this is always our, our, our materialist um, understanding of things, right? Is, is we have to understand that, that everything's going to get romanticized and we don't want to describe to like these great men of history or, or whatever. Right. And that just, I mean, we think of that, that's actually like powerful people, like the King bestowed this and do, do, but even, even within revolution and, uh, you know, among like poor people and oppressed people rising up, we don't want to do that too much, but there is definitely, a very real group of people that are especially revolutionary in their commitment and their revolutionary talents. Um, and that is something that sticks out. And that definitely, because of that, become targets of counter-revolutionary figures of people up wanting to uphold or turn back to the old system in very violent ways. Mm-hmm. And at this point, a lot of people start getting involved with Jackson. Um, 
most notably of that group, uh, Angela Davis, uh, becomes a huge correspondent of George Jackson. They, they write back and forth. Um, very tender letters. Very George Jackson had a lot of affection for Angela Davis. Um, and, and it seems to have been reciprocated in their letters back and forth. Um, but but Angela was obviously involved. His his attorney at the time, uh, uh, Fred. Uh, oh my God, how did I lose her name? Um, hold on, Face Stender. Lee Stender. There you go. There you go. Yeah, Face Stender. Face Stender. Um, turned this into a giant international uh, uh, cause. They they made it. They they were going to try this in the court of public opinion. Was hundred percent what they were going to do. And this is where people like Jane Fonda becoming very involved and are very big on the Soledad brothers case. Um, this 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 kind of feels like um, the the Scottsboro boys case, uh, a more, a more updated version of it where the whole nation is kind of captivated by this particular trial for the, the structural injustice that it represents. Um, but this, this is going on. So now we're, now we're pushing forward. Um, Soledad brother is released, which, ju- which rockets Jackson's profile up. He becomes, I mean, this is a, this is not, the kind of work like a lot of these works we do aren't necessary i'm not gonna say they fly they're they're huge and historic important works but this was soledad brother was a new york times bestseller like this was a work that everybody was that people were reading and that everyone was kind of engaging with and it made him a a huge huge celebrity but it also highlighted again just the massive amount of injustice going on in 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 his situation and the situation for mm. all incarcerated people at the time and so it was on the, the next major development is on August 7th, 1970, when George's 17-year-old brother that we've spoken about, Jonathan Jackson, uh, makes a play. Uh, has, has He decides that, that he's had enough, um, that he is going to get George out of prison because George is, and George is very clear, he mm-hmm. thinks his only route out of the system is to escape prison. He does not think it can be reformed. He does not think he will be let out. He does not think there is any option for him short of escaping from San Quentin. Uh, yeah. that, that is his only route out. Um, and so Jonathan bursts into a Marin County courtroom with an automatic weapon and numerous other uh, small arms, freed prisoners James McLean, William A. Christmas, and Russell McGee, and took Judge Harold Haley, Deputy District Attorney Gary Thomas, and three jurors hostage, demanding the release of the Soledad brothers. Um, so now we have a full-on hostage situation here. He arms the fellow in uh, the fellow convicts. Um, mm-hmm arms them and they get in a van and fly out. Um, they are on their way out as they're going. There happened to be a bunch of San Quentin guards that were doing uh, duty nearby that were doing like training exercises nearby. Just so, just so lucky, but they were not in communication with the sheriff. The sheriff of Marin County had given the order to let the van go, let them go. Don't chase them. Don't fight them. Let them go. Um, and instead, the very obvious conclusion happens, which is the police shoot and kill Haley, Jackson, and Christmas, um, and McLean are all slayed as they drive away from the courthouse. Um, eyewitness testimony says that Haley, who was the judge at the time, was hit. There was a sawed-off shotgun that was taped to his neck, um, and that went off in his face. Um, it had been fastened to his neck with adhesive tape. Yep. And Thomas McGee and one of the jurors were ended were wounded and the case made national headlines. Um, 
The case made national headlines for a lot of reasons, obviously. There's a huge hostage update. Again, the Soledad brothers are a cause, a huge cause in, in the country at the time. Um, but the other tangential thing that came out of this, um, this is where Angela Davis uh, gets tied in and has to go on the run. Because the guns that Jonathan Jackson used were actually bought and licensed to Angela Davis. So she immediately has to flee. This is when she becomes a fugitive. Um, she is, she gets out. Uh, she she flees to New York. She's eventually captured in New York later, um, and and famously, as as most people know, was acquitted on those charges. She she beat mm-hmm. those charges. Was not um, was not found guilty of anything that she was charged with murder conspiracy and 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 weapons trafficking a whole bunch of like very serious charges um that she was thankfully able to beat um but yeah this is where angela davis is kind of tied into this whole this whole affair um and that takes us to the biggest day. So again, Jackson is, and David, you may, you may know a little bit more about this because my research didn't go into it too much. I, I only, it only briefly acknowledges that, that Jackson was a member of the Panthers, that he was a, I think a marshal. Uh, uh yeah, um, he was the prison marshal. Yeah, he was the prison marshal of the Panthers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But they don't really talk too much more about his involvement, mostly because again, he was in prison. Um, yeah, I mean, he did in prison organizing. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of what it is, you know, and, uh, um, so he was definitely, you know, deeply involved with the Black Panthers, but this wasn't like he was going to go out and do, you know, uh, a breakfast, you know, brigade for, for the elementary school kids because you can't, you can't really do that in prison. Exactly. Right? You know? Exactly. Um, he was going to educate people in prison. He was going to radicalize people in prison. People were going to come out of prison and, you know, be ready to, to join the Black Panthers or, or study up for the Black Panthers. He was, you know, it, it was definitely radicalization and recruitment and, and, proliferation of of um philosophy you know yeah. reading in philosophy uh, making it concise and, and and communicating it with members um but it was not going to be like you know it was very much organized very much organizing but it yeah. was not going to be organizing a group of people that were free to take action so you can point to it and go look that's what george jackson did he started that program right that just you can't do that in prison no but he can produce these works. He can produce things like Soledad yes. Brother and Blood in My and, Eye, and he can and he can organize the people, you know, against the mm-hmm. Aryan Brotherhood and and the like, right? And he exactly. very much did, you know. Oh my and, God, yes. and again, and I don't think he was wrong about the the breaking out of prison, and that was a surprisingly. Um, well, not surprising. That was a pretty common thing at the time. Um, even, you know, through and after, uh, the work of Cointelpro, um, you know, something like, again, we're, we're, you know, two white guys in, in a basement reading this shit. Um, so, so <laughs> somebody, you know, we can look to as an example of something, uh, you know, we, we can do or an example we should follow is Marilyn Buck, right? Marilyn Buck successfully broke Asada Shakur out of prison, um, in 1979. That was, you know, what, 10 years after, after what we're talking about. Uh, and it sounds like Jonathan Jackson would have been, you know, successful if it wasn't for this miscommunication. Now, cops lie. You know, those probably like exactly. I, I bet the sheriff ordered those guys to kill him and then went plausible deniability. But that group of people isn't there, regardless of the sheriff's story. Um, you know, and they they maybe get away with that. You know, um, mm-hmm. and and so yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely not necessarily something that doesn't work but it's something that's extremely risky and dangerous you're going off a much much larger power um and a much much more well-equipped power you're going to have to just use mostly your your great organization your guerrilla tactics and your masses and you're sacrificing all of those things you're not going in to break someone out of prison in masses you're not going in to break someone out of prison with guerrilla tactics it's 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 not structured like that and um 
you know, so you're, you're not going to do all of that. You're just going to take a small group of people and attempt something very daring for a very specific political end. Yep. Um, so, which is probably why it didn't stick as, as, you know, something that, that we still do these days, you know, but maybe that's the lack of radicalization in people. Maybe that was a sign of the time of how the precipice of revolution was there. Um, I, I don't know. You know, yeah. I don't know how to, to analyze that. Um, that's something with that, that takes deeper discussion that I would leave up to people's discussions and beliefs in their parties rather than like being the guy with the answer right here. No, but, not right. No, but I yeah, that was place. that, but that was a, a common tactic. So, um, you know, Jonathan Jackson was not like completely, you know, out of line with that at all. No, not at all. Um, and this, this was Jonathan's death was, it was a turning point. There was mm-hmm. everyone around George at the time said that he fundamentally changed after Jonathan's death. He was it hit, hit again. We talk about how he he loved his little brother. Uh, something mm-hmm. he called him his comrade in arms at all times. He 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 knew that he was a true revolutionary um, and willing to do anything for the cause and and wanted to do it and and to see him cut down like that. Um, it, it it changed George. Something something flicked in in george's mind at that time yes. and that is why uh, uh a little little more than a year later on august 21st 1971 uh jackson met with his attorney stephen bingham uh mm-hmm. at san quentin to discuss the civil lawsuit that jackson had filed against the california department of corrections they were also going over the uh drafts of his new book which would be blood in my eye mm-hmm. um after the meeting, Jackson was being escorted by Officer Urbano Rubi- Rubiaco back to his cell when Rubiaco noticed a metal object in Jackson's hair, later revealed to be a wig. That is a point of contention. They have done, they keep saying that he was wearing a wig, but they've done study, they, they like reenacted it with a wig and tried to put a gun in it and walk around and it's like, it falls right out. It doesn't work. You can't do, you, yeah. you can't store a gun it in a, a wig. It's a crock of shit. Yeah. It's a crock it's a of shit. shit. It makes no god. There are a lot of things about this day that don't make a lot of fucking sense. Um, yeah. and, and there is a lot of contention, a lot of, of quote, for lack of a better word, conspiracy theory about what actually has gone on, and, what, what happened this day. And I do hate that because there I are definitely, there are three, there are three categories of things because a conspiracy, and, for, and, and it is documented. This is just a term that the CIA did create. I don't want to sound crazy like that. That is actually a thing that CIA termed conspiracy theory, right? Um, but also, you know, it, it categorizes things like Area 51 shit and Alex Jones shit as the same as, look, we have this documented thing that the NSA or the FBI or the CIA or the NED did. We have it documented. We can track it exactly here. This is it. They admitted to it. This is a real thing. This is people in power with money using their power and money to secure their power and money, which makes a whole lot of sense. And of course, they conspired to do it. And that's packed in there. And then in between, there's there's stuff that's not really – it's hard to describe if it's – like it's generally accepted as like – dumb or crazy or aloof or along the lines of the Area 51 stuff, and it doesn't have enough hard evidence for you to, like, stick to your guns. Like, no! Like, the CIA admitted this, but it feels like there should be more of an error of of doubt. And the mainstream one, right, the one that, like, gets people thrown in the crazy is the JFK stuff and whatever, and I'm not, like, down some Oliver Stone thing, but along the same lines as the the MLK assassination. And and so, you know, this death having that air is is really scary because people are going to at least put you in that like jfk mlk category for wondering but 
there's just too many details that don't add up. Exactly. Right. And it's probably not even in that category of what's conspiracy. It's probably more like in the, like, this is the, the CIA and AED, you know, documented this. Like, we, cops lie all the time and we have proof that they lied about this day. Why would we believe any of their shit and not throw it out? Yeah. And there right? was, there was documented, uh, cases there. Again, this is anecdotal. It's from that documentary. Mm-hmm. I cannot say whether this person is lying or not, but, but one of the inmates in there, um, that they interviewed said that it, in, in Soledad, they, marked for they marked george jackson and and thought that this guy was a was a hitman for the aryan brotherhood and went to him and were like hey we want you to kill george jackson uh we're gonna open your cell we're gonna open his cell go kill him um and he sent a letter to jackson saying keep your fucking eyes open like they're i'm not gonna do this but they want me they want you dead like and, yeah. and so that had to weigh heavy on his mind at the same time too um that, yeah well and if you think about it too he's already he's already potentially being you know sentenced to to death over over an assault he lost his brother he's got that weighing on his mind and then you see this fuckery stuff here i mean what what do you expect he, he probably correctly assessed i'm dead anyway exactly right and and so now he's 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 you know, not only fully radicalized, but he's, he's, you know, almost paranoid without losing the radicalization. And so it's almost like a, I, I don't want to call it a practical paranoia, right? But that, that's what it, it, it's hard not to call it that. It's not. And it's the same thing we talk about with Stalin all the time. Like, was Stalin paranoid? Yes. Did he have reasons to be paranoid? Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, that's a little different too, because Stalin was very, very personally paranoid, but stuff like, like the the purges and, and things weren't Stalin's personal paranoia, and that 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 dives into great main theory and puts way too much on him. It was a very democratic process with missteps and and contention along the way. But Stalin did happen to coincidentally also be very personally paranoid and send assassins after very specific people at yeah. certain times. Um, but it was yeah, it was a justified paranoia, you know, and and so yeah, you could say the same thing here without the power and without the big democratic society also being very paranoid, for sure. So Rubiaco uh, noticed the metal object to Jackson's hair and ordered him to remove it. Jackson then pulled a Spanish Astra nine millimeter pistol from beneath his hair and said, "Gentlemen, the dragon has come." Which let's just be real for a hot second. That's a goddamn good line. <laughs> that is a yeah. fucking good line. He he worked on that one for a while. That's a fucking power <laughs> line. You you whip that shit out and say the dragon has come. Like, and he was directly referencing Ho Chi Minh there. Like he yeah. knew what he was doing. He was ready to fucking go. Um, it is not clear how Jackson obtained the gun. This is the biggest point of contention in the whole thing. How the mm. fuck did he get a gun in the middle of San Quentin prison? Um, yeah. His lawyer, uh, Stephen Bingham, was uh, accused of it. Uh, he fled the country for like 15 years. Uh, once totally the, understandable, probably fearing for his life. You know, 100% yeah. fearing for his life because after, in the events of this, like in the aftermath of this, it was completely rational. And he later returned and was cleared of all charges. Um, they yeah. weren't able to, to ever pin it on him. But the, the question of how the fuck did, did George Jackson get a gun in the middle of San Quentin is is the biggest kind of mystery of this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but regardless, because again, they describe, they have Clichette, uh, one of the one of the Soledad brothers, um, talking about it in this documentary. Like, man, they, they would make you rustle through your hair. Like when you're getting checked from one area to another, like you had to rustle through your hair, they'd lift your scrotum right. up. They'd, they'd yeah. do, like, they do everything. Like how, how do oh, they miss this? all this? Speaking of Angela Davis, that's something just she details very well when she when uh, um, uh, 
writes our prisons obsolete right mm-hmm. and she's talking about the women's prisons in california and it's like oh these these claim they you know they prevent assault they prevent murder they prevent rape and their very existence is is rape right you have daily cavity checks and and things like in addition to the the medical examiners getting away with way too much oh for sure um he lives his future. Uh, he was acquitted of all charges. Jackson ordered Rubiaco to open all the cells. Uh, and along with several other inmates, he overpowered the remaining corrections officers and took them along with two inmates hostage. Five other hostages, officers Jer Graham, Frank Delon, Paul Krasnis, along with two white prisoners, were eventually killed and found in Jackson's cell. Shot uh, uh, three other officers, Rubiaco, Kenneth McRae, and Charles Breckenridge, were also shot and stabbed, but survived. Um, and they described this basically. It turned. It was just full on. It, it, this all happened in the course of thirty minutes. It was an uprising. Yeah, it was an uprising. It yeah. happened in thirty minutes. But uh, they they basically stripped all the the radio equipment out of the cells, like the the wiring and stuff like that for that, mm-hmm. and were using that to hog tie all the corrections officers. Like they had complete control of this in about in about. 10 minutes they they it just happened like a like a flash um mm. after finding the keys for the adjustment center's exit jackson along with fellow inmate and close friend johnny spain escaped to the yard where jackson was shot dead from a tower and spain surrendered three inmates were acquitted and three david johnson johnny spain and hugo pinnell were convicted for the murders uh spain was letter uh the, these were part of these uh what were called the san quentin six um, yeah. Spain had his uh, conviction overturned and he is currently doing uh, criminal justice work um, and teaching uh, uh, at a alternative high school. So he is he is the only one of this group that is actually free uh, and walking around right now. Um, <coughs> there is some evidence that Jackson and his supporters on the outside had planned the escape for several weeks. Um Three days before the escape attempt, Jackson rewrote his will, leaving all royalties as well as control of his legal defense fund to the Black Panther Party. Um, but there was also a lot. This is, again, where, where you get to the contentious part where mm-hmm. almost everyone else agrees. It made no sense to try and break out of San Quentin. Yeah. Um, if he wanted to escape and had a gun smuggled and had the ability to do that, it made way more sense to wait two days when his trial was set to start. And bust out at the trial because there's so much less, so many less less variables to have to deal with there than there is in the middle of a fucking max security prison. Um, yeah. So so the why it happened and when it happened, no one's ever going to know. Um, everyone, unfortunately, all that information died with Jackson that day. Um, but uh, in 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 the. I don't know if irony is the right the right phrase here. Um, the trial again for the for the Soledad brothers went on mm. uh, the next couple days started, and the Soledad brothers were acquitted uh, of the murder. They they did they Clochette and and Drago were were both were both uh, uh, Drumgo were both cleared of all charges. Um, so so there's there's some questioning. If if George if that's had to happen, but I think again I I, I fall fully under the under the mindset th- uh, that Jackson had, which was it didn't matter if he got convicted of this particular crime or that particular crime. It was it, there was a target on his back, and they were coming mm-hmm. for him one way or another. He was too. His mother said it. He was. They couldn't let him live. They they yeah. would especially after what happened well, with wonder, Jonathan. You wonder as as well too, and this is the thing. You know, not only was there like you know 
definitely accusations within black revolutionary groups of backstabbing uh, when it comes to George Jackson. And I don't know who was paranoid and who was right and who was wrong there, nor will I ever get into that because that's that's making as much as George was a great revolutionary, that's making too much of, of one man as well. Um, but more importantly, you wonder how much of this again, you know, you talk about like, well, the gun wouldn't stay under a wig. Like how much of this story was created was was drummed up and then as soon as jackson was eliminated it was like well why not quit the uh, quit the other guys you know when when some faith back before like because you know maybe if the other two guys get convicted after jackson dies all of a sudden you have a full-on uprise in your hands whereas you know jackson's going to be a martyr either way but a lot of that martyrdom is going to fall on deaf ears if those other two were acquitted and now that jackson's out of the way where's your threat right and so and, you wonder if a lot of that had to do with the, the acquittal, too. And there were a number of incidents post uh, Jackson's death. There was a, a couple days later, there were three bombs set off in government buildings all throughout California mm-hmm. um, that the weathermen actually took credit for. Um, yeah. Cla- yeah, the weather uh, underground. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, claiming yeah. claiming retaliation for the assassination of Jackson. There was a, mm-hmm. a direct shooting. Someone busted into a police station and point blank shot a cop in the chest with a shotgun. Uh, and and said they sent a note in specifically saying that this was retribution for the assassination of George <laughs> Jackson. Um, so I mean it it led a lot, but this did this was a huge blow to the prison to the abolition movement in this country. It was a giant mm-hmm. because Jackson was such a powerful figure in that movement and the mm-hmm. way that his death happened, the, the, the circumstances of it and everything around it just took a lot of energy out of that movement at the time. Well, and yeah. And I wonder again, you know, that's the, that's the setup, right? You have him looking like a failed selfish attempt at a revolutionary. And then you get these people like, Oh, if you only waited two more days, you know, which might've also motivated the acquittal or maybe they saw the acquittal, coming and they were like we got to kill jackson while we can you know because if he's free we're we're cooked right interestingly enough an all-white jury uh, brought the acquittal (laughs) so uh uh, yeah weird twists that that happened i it is strange how how biased the the criminal the the justice quote-unquote justice system is to see to see the soledad brothers and angela davis both get off Mm -hmm. on those charges is is rather shocking at the time i would have i would have fully expected those to go the other way Um, well and and again i i think that has to do with is 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 very much and again this is where you get in the conspiracy theory stuff but these guys know what's going on Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's there's not like a reason they didn't open the Aryan brother guys, you know, guys in his cell and be like, you know, go kill him. Right. Like they 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 know what's going on. And so they may make bad bets. They may do some hand fisted stuff. They may mostly get by because they found patterns that work and use them over and over and have the money just to throw at everything. But that doesn't mean that they don't have some expertise or some savvy and take some conscious risks that do pay off. And and I, it's hard to imagine that 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 again the details of this are too they're too shaky to not go something's fucky right yeah, yeah. and unfortunately uh, that is the end of our uh, it's a rather somber note to end it on but that is the mm-hmm. end of our biography for uh, for George Jackson this is the context of the man's life. Uh, and again, uh, Blood in My Eye was was being worked on and, and was released immediately following this. 
Um, mm-hmm. So this is as as recent uh, of information as we can give to to contextualize the work that we're about to read and kind of get into the mindset of the person that that is going to be doing this work for us. Um, and, and when we do get into it, um, so the beginning of Blood in My Eye talks it, it talks about his brother John. It's basically the first. I don't know. I don't remember. I, I read it once, but it was like 50 pages. So it was a huge chunk of it. It's like a letter that he's writing to someone that, that, that got out of prison. And there's almost like directions, you know. Um, and and he speaks. It was either in that letter or in the intro. Because um, there's an intro introduction written by someone else as well on it. But it talks about George and, and the things, you know, after his brother Jonathan's death and, and how he spoke to his mother about Jonathan. And and so we do say this is a rather somber thing, and it very much is, you know. Uh, again, we don't want to overly romanticize this, even if we should recognize revolutionaries and celebrate them for, for who they are and realize that specific talents and specific situations and specific revolutionary commitments do exist. Um, but... Um, what I will say that the attitude we're going to take with this, and and, and it's it leaves a little bit of a cliffhanger for when we read, um, will be hopefully the same attitude that George took about his brother Jonathan. A, a very you know, don't mourn him. Um, it, it was very much a, a sentiment of you know he died for the revolution, right? And he did he did what he chose to do, and he made his own choice, and and it may not have been a successful choice, but it was the right choice. And so, and again, Greg, uh, Greg Armstrong writes the preface to uh, "To Blood in My Eye," which which mm-hmm. does do a little bit of of the context. So there'll be a little bit of a of some overlap. Yeah, we'll rehash some of this. Yeah, uh, some of this will be it will be done second. But I wanted I wanted just again one one full context episode that got everything in there that we could on his mm-hmm. biography. Um, and then if we if if we do a little bit of double double taking that that'll be fine um yeah because we are again this is going to be one that we read word for word so so we're gonna get we're gonna get all of it um that being said everybody next week we will start into the preface and the rest of of blood in my eye so so get ready for that and i i will say i don't know how our pace is going to be on that book because there's going to be times where we like stop and we may have to explain everything there's going to be times where there's a lot of technically i guess explanation needed but people will contemporarily get it by like knowing who you know following this podcast and knowing who some of these socialist figures are knowing about the united states and then there's parts where just like in all the other theory and they start droning on about their like proofing right they're showing their pro their 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 um, charts and their whose monopolist owns this bank and coats and linen and stuff jackson's droning on is very much it's very specific it's it's good useful and and very important to him he he felt the united states um, could fall to a black nationalist revolution through guerrilla warfare. And this is his last, you know, he was writing this, anticipating his possible death. And so there's a lot of explicit guerrilla warfare instructions that I'm sure we're going to probably go faster through those parts because we're not going to add a lot of input so i, I, I don't have, have no a lot of i don't is. have a lot of input on guerrilla warfare gang <laughs> i don't know if you know this about me not an expert in guerrilla warfare uh, so there's going to be a lot of explicit guerrilla warfare talk too um so i have no idea how the pacing for this book is going to be but i'm sure a lot of these thoughts over the next probably few episodes of of george's life will be rehashed that being said, this has been Mark's Madness Pod. There are a number of different ways you can reach out to us. The first of which is through email. You can email us directly at marksmadnesspod at gmail.com. 
if you would like to reach out to us on Twitter, because I don't know, we're all there, even though we don't want to be. Uh, our Twitter handle is at Mark's Madness Pod. DMs are open. Uh, and if you would like to reach out to us on a more day to day basis or just have a, another good community of people that are like minded and, and want to, want to talk to you and hear, hear what you have to say and, and, you know, learn from each other. Um, that's where you join our Discord server. Our Discord is linked in our Twitter bio. It is the Mark's Madness Pod Discord. Um, again, they also have a independent book club from the show. Um, right now they're working through Back on the Road by Shea Guevara. Um, so I know that they're getting ready to finish that one up now. So that's probably finishing. So they will be starting a new book, uh, probably by the time you're hearing this. Um, that being said, it's just a great place and I love it. And, and I highly encourage anyone to join who wants to have some more day-to-day interaction with, with like-minded people and us, David occasionally, but, but mostly me, uh, (laughs) all that being said, David, uh, I feel like we have a disclaimer to do. Yeah, yeah. So obviously we started this podcast a long time ago because Nathan came up to me and was like, hey, you've read Capital once. And, you know, that's unlike this book is one that ties into all of other Marx's work. So it's a little easy to remember stuff from it, too. Um, and so he's like, well, we should read this together and have you having read it once, you know, that that'll be helpful because anytime you're reading theory or history, you want to be reading it in a group of people because you want to bounce the ideas off each other, understand the context, get another chance to review and make sure you're soaking it. And otherwise, you're not going to get as much out of that. And it's not really going to do what it's intended to do. Um, and so ever since that day, we decided, hey, you know, we'll record it. There's only two of us. Maybe we can get a little bigger group and we decided halfway through it we'll release it as a podcast and now lo and behold there's you know a couple thousand of you following along with us and we're excited to have you here and one thing we've always hoped for is whatever party whatever organization you're in hopefully you guys have a reading group a political education group that is working on these specific works along with us and we could be another voice in the crowd another source of context of input uh, another chance to review over the work whatever it is that helps you retain it um let's say that not happening and your organization is doing something more contemporary or something more focused on a project you're on or just something shorter uh, and you're just reading this on your own hopefully we can be that reading group and we can give you that context and give you that other um, source of input that other chance to review over it and let's say that's not happening let's say it's a work like this where we're going to read it more word for word like an enhanced ebook or a work that we summarize more like we did with say state and revolution um, whatever we can do to make these works more accessible to you because we want these works out there guiding your actions any time you put uh, theory into revolutionary action, that's a phenomenon called praxis. Uh, that can be anywhere from aid to mutual aid, parties, political education, um, anything like that. And of course, uh, without theory, definitionally praxis can't exist. It's theory in action. And without the praxis, this theory is completely useless. They go hand in hand. They are tied at the hip. Amen. As always, That being said, this has been Mark's Madness Pod. We read books. My name is Nathan. My name's David. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye.